Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today is Book Club. Before I bring up our conversation, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash LLTB podcast. Every coffee you buy me helps keep me alert and this podcast going. I'll add the link in the show notes and I thank you. One more thing. I want to talk a bit about a great audiobook app, Libro.fm, lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, you know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of this podcast can get two books for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that is L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code L-L-T-B podcast. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'll add the link in the show notes. And let's get straight to book club. Welcome everyone to book club. Yay! Today we are doing Salt Houses by Hala Alyan. And um, yeah, it was um it was an interesting read for me. And uh, obviously I always ask first thoughts and I have a few thoughts about this one of it is just thinking about like oh what do I want to rate this book and all of that the fact that I have a podcast and the fact that I've actually spoken to the author and I almost feel like I know her on a personal level and we're like hey holla hey it really does affect my ability to even put anything less than a five star on Goodreads. Even if I felt it, I, that, that's my, one of my first thoughts about this book, like how, um, why, how and why I have trouble speaking my truth because it's a friend. I feel like she's a friend, but anyway, that that's one of my first thoughts. My second thought also is I've read her other book, Arsenal City, which I felt is better than this book. So it was a little bit of, for most people, they read this one first and then her second book, but I went backwards. So it was a slip back for me. Those are my thoughts. Who wants to go first thoughts? I'll go. Um, So I liked the beginning and then we got to like the second generation and I was like, wait, I have all these questions. Are we going to resolve these or are we not going to resolve them? And then I realized that there's going to be unanswered questions. And I didn't know how I felt about it. I was conflicted about that. But then when I got to the end, I really loved the end. And and, and there were a couple of things that just like really resonated with me, particularly the scene where her grandmother who um, has dementia or Alzheimer's is seeing her breastfeed the baby while she's singing the song. And it 
triggers the grandmother's memory that that was the song that she sang to her babies. And so it, I don't know that just that whole thought resonated with me. And in the end, I was okay with the loose ends, so to speak. Okay. Rufat, you like, just unmuted. Yeah, so go for it. Yeah. Uh, the first thought, I think it's just, uh, I love uh, multi-generational accounts. So I loved it. I loved both the themes of the family and immigration and feeling how, you know, uh, the feeling of being foreign in a different country. So I, I really liked both those things and those stuck with me throughout the book. Nina, you want to go next? Sure. I really loved this book. It hit a few personal notes for me. So like my parents just very similar story, you know, immigration, uh, losing their homeland, having to start over, doing it over and over again. And Alia and Athaf really just reminded me of my parents. So like I was bawling by the end of the book. I thought she really captured the impact of, of all of those moves and the war, the wars. And I thought it was just a very powerful book. I'm still kind of reeling from it. I just finished it yesterday. Dr. So I was just crying, 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 crying. Last <laughs> <night>. <laughs> We've got to find happier non-crying books next time in the future. Yeah, hell of a book. My book. Anyway, Dr. Jen. I, I liked the book. Um, I liked the the characters and I felt like the author connected us with them. I also thought that it was it was a lot of traveling through time for me. And so I feel like there were some times that could have been maybe explored more deeply. Um, I felt like at times it was kind of superficial, but I was also reading it really fast because um, I read the wrong book for this week. And then I was, oh, shoot, I have very limited time to get this done. So I, I read it fast. So partly my fault. <laughs> for me, I read it about two, three weeks ago. and. I'm sitting here going, oh, wow, we have book club today. What was this book about? And I'm going, um, what was this book about? I, you know, it's, and that's, that's a statement. If, if it doesn't stick with me, I'm going, all I know is Mustafa was an important character. And I know how that all goes towards the end. And, um, and this book is about immigration, losing your home and moving to different homes. And then the other thing is, I also felt she just kept skipping generation, generation, generation. It was like, what, four generations? Because they started off with Salma and the tea leaves and the tea reading. Then it goes to Alia and then her children and then her children's children. I'm like, who? Wait, where's the woman who read the tea leaves? Oh, wait, no, she's dead. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Alia's the one with dementia. I'm like, who is the main character? It was just that was... That was that for me. It was just jumping, jumping, jumping. But ultimately, I think the book was about immigration is what I felt it was about. It was also I felt about family and family relationships and holding families together despite your differences in perspectives and or otherwise. And that's kind of what I felt. Did she have to do it through 
all of this, so many generations and all of that? I don't know, but um, that's what I think the book was about. What do you guys think the book was really about? I think this is a really good example of when the title is perfect for a book. So I, I loved the title, um, the idea of salt houses, like that just melt away, you know, you have this homeland and then it's not there anymore. It just, it's, it's gone. It melts. Um, and so I felt like that happened over and over kind of throughout the, the book. And so that was, that was my favorite part. I definitely, like I said, those were my first thoughts too. And the book is about, uh, immigration and family, holding families together. But to answer your question, did it have to be four generations? I think yes, because she's not only talking about, I mean, if she's going to go through like four or six different wars, I don't remember how many, and then she has to bring all the, those that complexities in the characters and in the way I mean, immigration is not just like a one generation process or not just a one day process or a one year. So I guess it, uh, in order to bring that particular perspective, yes, it had to be. And I thought that was the beauty of it. It, it did get a little com- like kind of, you know, um, especially I read it on the Kindle. So I think a paperback would have been better with it because she has the, the family tree in the beginning. And I could have gone back if I had a paperback. That would have helped. Yes. That and would have I helped. Thought, I know. And I kind of, in the end, I think I took a picture of that first page from my phone and then I went back to it. So, you know, I definitely think that she couldn't have accomplished what she wanted to accomplish in just one or two generations because she talks about the kids going to the US and them going to Europe and all that and, you know, what they got from there. So I, I guess it's, that's the best part of it. So that's what it is about in, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I'll say that this book is about family. I got the um, hardback and the, I don't know if you guys have the same cover as me, but uh, it says, this is a book with the power to both break and mend your heart. And that for me comes down to family. We inherit generational and cultural trauma that's not resolved from uh, the generations that come before us. And family is so messy and intense and contributes so much to our identities, um, most of which, you know, is kind of unconscious to many of us. And so this book was, I noticed she's a psychologist. And so she, she is, she kind of did two things at the same time for me. She provided me a a beautiful story, but at the same time, she moved me along in my own psychological process and the crying that I did, it was necessary and it it was beautiful and, and it was moving. And it was because of how I related to the theme of family in the book. That was beautiful. Erin? I mean, I think really piggybacking off of all of the family theme to me and, and, and also melding the, the salt houses with it. Like I felt like a lot of what was being said was that home isn't a house. It's not even necessarily a land as much as we think that we want to get back to that place. When we get back to that place, that place has changed from, you know, what, what drove us away from it. But home is more about 
the family, about being with your family and that like family is your home and it doesn't necessarily have to be um, a specific location or a specific land. That's what I got out of it. And I really thought that that was beautiful as well. And I don't come from a family with any um, immigration. I mean, the closest thing I can say is that I've moved to the city away from my family (laughs) and it's a very different culture. And my family would say it's a very different culture. And I do worry sometimes like, like even with that slight change, right? Because it is slight, but it is a change. I worry about the things that I grew up with and how that's going to be different for my daughter, you know? And I mean, not to suggest that there's like trauma or things that go with that, but like, like the cultural piece and the, the traditions, you know, that was part of the story that they were worried about some of those things being lost. And so I can relate to that and understand that concern. But I think in the end, there's some things that generations moving forward will take away from the culture that we have as a family, the traditions that we have as a family, but they're also going to add their own flavors and their own, you know, styles or whatever to that. I just, I thought that uh, that piece was very beautiful. What do you guys um, think about, like, is there a scene that really resonates with you? What resonates the most with you when you think of this book? Like, like for me, like I said, I don't remember much. I mean, although I just recently read it, but I remember the first scene, the tea leaves. And I don't know. I remember the, the swimming scene where she almost drowned, where she's walking by. It wasn't Atif. I don't think it was Atif. It was this other guy right by the beach. And she decides to just go into this beach and then she almost drowns and this other guy rescues her. And I don't know why, but that scene just kind of resonates with me about like women and attention and what's expected of us and where we will, how we will cross that line. If we want to cross it, I just, that's something that resonated with me. What really resonated with you guys scenes specifically? I already I alluded. Oh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Perfect. You go ahead. Oh, um, I was just saying that, uh, you know, for me, it like I said, the, the main thing to me seemed like was about life. And what the beautiful scenes that I really liked were the part when she has Alzheimer. And I, I just thought that was so like, because we saw uh, kind of her character's like from when she was getting married all the way to becoming a mother and grandmother and going through all that. And the last part when she has Alzheimer and what she's going through, those all those scenes were most touchy for me. I thought that was the, really the, in one way, one of the cruxes of the book too, other than the immigration and family life itself was definitely, I thought, a very beautiful part of it. So I guess that's where I felt very emotional. Yeah, Brad's uh, mother had Alzheimer's. So to to read about that in a book, it's just kind of like anytime, you know, you're reading and you think, oh, this person does not hold their memories as well. Like, it was really weird because my um, my uncle has actually Parkinson's. But lately with his drugs and everything, he's having episodes where he's just not there completely or his daughter went to visit him and he's like oh um he's asking his wife did Shauna's leave and it's like no Shauna's never came Sana's here you know your daughter's here it's and you know when any type of 
confusion or misrecognition in an adult when you go through it in your own life and then you read it in a book, it really um, elicits uh, emotions. Dr. Chen? I was going to say, I, I loved the changing relationships between mothers and daughters through this book. And I, I loved how the beginning, they're teenagers and everybody's all passionate and at each other's throats. And then as they kind of get older, they kind of come around and find common ground again. And there was those relationships kind of reconnect for the most part. So um, I, I kind of appreciated that kind of like waxing and waning of, of, of those relationships. So someone who's really spoiled, was, wasn't there someone who's really spoiled and bratty. And then later on, you know, she almost has a really spoiled bratty child, I think, or something. Yeah. Yeah. And and she realizes that like her mom's opinion of her husband was completely right. Like at the end, she knew exactly what was going to happen, <laughs> but you know, you can't tell people those things. They don't listen. So they got to figure it out on their own. Right. Erin, you're next. The scene that really like sticks with me the most, I said at the beginning and I really feel strongly like it was like I could almost like feel like I was in the room and that was well on the porch where she the grandmother with Alzheimer's comes out and sees her granddaughter breastfeeding and singing that song. And that was just like it was just very, very I, I remember crying. And I think part of it was that it was like Alzheimer's is part of my family, too. So I know what it's like to have uh, to to watch a relative, watch multiple relatives go through it and to think about it from her perspective. And like she doesn't realize who it is, but she still recognizes her own piece of that. You know, she recognizes, I think, a little part that that is somebody that is important to her because it's the song. Right. And it's so funny how that is really what triggers her memory there. But I think music does that like that's, you know, out of the normal process of the nerve cells or whatever in that instance. But it just I don't know, it just really resonated with me. And I think also the part about the granddaughter singing the song was that resonated with me. I remember my grandpa. I mean, I hadn't thought about it for years and years and years until I was pregnant. And I don't know why it like came to me then. But my grandpa used to sing that song. You are my sunshine. And which I love that song, but I like hadn't thought about it for many years until I was pregnant. And I was like that I would sing it to my pregnant belly. And I, I was singing it one day and my mom was like, your grandpa used to sing that to you. And I was like, you're right. I do remember that, but I didn't really like consciously remember why I was singing that. So that's why I think that scene sticks out to me, but I love it. I just, I thought it was so beautiful. I think it's super neat with that whole song memory, you're, you're absolutely right, because it, it's beautiful. Even your story, Aaron, is just absolutely beautiful, where you have a memory from your grandpa singing a song, and now you're singing it to your baby. I mean, before Nora was born, and it's just like, wow. It, it would be really interesting to see if somewhere Nora kind of recognizes that song down the road. That would be very, uh, that would be neat. Nina, you're next. There were many scenes of, especially ones that others have already mentioned that stuck out. Uh, the one that I'd like to add is when the grandkids are in the, they sneak out of the apartment building to go get a pack of cigarettes. One, I just love that kind of mischief. I'm guilty of that growing up, but also just the, the gravity, their recognition of the gravity of 
what's going on. She really kind of captured that advancement into adulthood or, per, you know, perhaps like a loss of innocence just a little bit and the realities of, of the world. I remember myself and my cousins when uh, my uncle used to live here, we all would sneak out at like 3 a.m. to go to Steak and Shake. I mean, it wasn't a cigarette, but it was, I, so I'm reading the scene and I'm remembering, you know, it's like all of us like, okay, let's go. Dad and mom are asleep. And we're all like tiptoeing around the house. And then someone opens the garage door. We're like, oh my God, there's a sound, you know, the garage. Door. And it's like, we're like, okay, 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 quiet, go, 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 go. I was, you know, and so reading that, I just, I think, I think there is beauty in writing a story where we don't have the exact same thing of sneaking for cigarettes or something, but it's that universality of kids sneaking out to do something. The universality of music, the universality of, I guess, immigration or losing your home or going from one home to another to another. Like Aaron, you said, you didn't really immigrate, but it's the concept of how you can still attach yourself to something which is far different. I mean, yours was like, you're like, well, I'm in from the city, but still you're able to attach yourself. And that universality is one of the beauties of this book, I think. Why would you recommend this book to people? Would you recommend this book to people? And why would you recommend this book to people? Or why would you not recommend this book to people? Nina? I would definitely recommend this book to people with the caveat that I felt that it was just slightly missing representation from the Jewish faith. My parents were born Muslim. I was born Muslim. I'm not a practicing Muslim. But that to me, what is very important is the bridging of the Jewish faith with the Islamic faith. And I, as I was reading this book and she was touching upon you know, the the political aspects of Palestine and Israel, I was really hoping at some point there would be some kind of, I don't know, like some kind of melding, like maybe Gabe, who was, uh, I think, Lena's boyfriend, like maybe he's Jewish, I don't know. Like I was kind of rooting for that uh, because I do have a, a, a Jewish relative in my family through marriage. And that's something I'm very proud of, that we have this blending of faiths from in our generation and in America, whereas, you know, over there it may not be possible. And I just see that as very hopeful. And so I was, I was hoping for that. That's uh, quite a point. That's very valid, because even today you go to the mosque and you talk to, quote unquote, practicing Muslims. It's a very sensitive topic. I mean, maybe I'm judgmental or whatever, but if someone from the mosque was here right now, Rifat, you can correct me and tell me if I'm right or wrong. If someone from the mosque was here, I don't know how they would react and or respond to your comment, Nina. I mean, in a sense that I feel like they might just be a little bit offended by your comment, be like, well, you're not practicing and I can't believe you're saying this. Potentially, do you not know 
about the whole conflict of Israel and Palestine. And and then, you know, in this book club, if that's the case, I mean, how would we as members of this book club even be able to resolve something like that to be so, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, if that was, I'm just, when, when, when Nina said that, I was like, no, that's a valid point. The other thing is, I will say, we have done A Woman Is No Man, which is again, very, there's that Israel-Palestine is a very polarized topic. You're either for Israel or you're for Palestine. You cannot be for both. Is, is my understanding of it. I try to understand the conflict. I've been trying, but I've, it's just been so polarizing. So, and, and with immigration and for people, Arabs, because I know Hala Alian is probably, her generations probably came from there. I, I hear what you're saying. I'm just thinking in terms of like, that's great. I, I love that you say it should all be melted and everyone should be happy at the end. But it's still a very, very, very sensitive topic today. Let me clear. Yeah, let me clarify. Like my background, I have my master's in international relations and also in uh, philosophy and religion. And I'm a mediator. I do mediation. So my thesis was actually on the situation in Israel and Palestine. And so that is that you're for one or the other is something that I'm actually spending a lifetime trying to prove that it it doesn't have to be that way. You can have a non-dual approach that validates certain aspects of both sides. Now, nobody is going to come out being completely happy, of course. However, there is a way to move forward peacefully. And so, I mean, I just would wonder what somebody who is from Israel, if they read this book, what would they think? You know, so just kind of empathy, not just for the Palestinians, but also for Jewish people. No, I I hear you. I used to be in a Jewish uh, Muslim group. And uh, I know a lot of the women there used to be like, you have Jewish women who are against this whole Israel thing. And then I've talked to other Jewish people who are very the pro-Israel thing, but but you're right. You're absolutely right, Nina. There's got to be an approach where it's got to be balanced. Rufat, you had your hand up first, then you dropped it, and then you have your hand up again. So who wants to go between Rufat and Erin? Go ahead, Erin. I was just going to ask you, Shanaz, about your group, because I knew that you were in that group. And if I was curious what your experience had been with that topic, um, but you shared that. So I'm glad you did. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention is that like we have put it in this dichotomy of Palestinian versus Arab. And I don't think that people always acknowledge the role that, for lack of a better term, a lot of the Christian governments took after World War II. I mean, part of that conflict is on us, you know, too. And yet Christian, you know, Christianity isn't brought into the discussion much in that conversation, other than that I think a lot of people think that many Christians feel like they support Israel, but that I don't think that that's actually the case. In fact, like I don't, I mean, I don't I don't want to take I don't I wouldn't take sides in this situation. I think that there's a deeper story there. I think that everybody though needs to like own their part in what happened. And I think to clarify my earlier statement about like 
the theme of home being family. I think that's true, but I don't want to, I don't want that to sound like that there's no uh, consequences to losing one's homeland and, you know, having to immigrate or be a refugee somewhere because that has a lot of stuff that goes with it emotionally, physically, financially, you know, resource wise. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it was eye opening to see how that that had affected this family for so many generations, even past the situation where they had to leave their homeland. Yes. So interesting point, Nina, you rose and, um, you know, you answered really well, Shunas. <laughs> I just want to say one thing that uh, when we are here, whether it's Pakistan, India or Kashmir or Israel, it's a very different thing, you know, but when you are back home and you are in this situation, your feelings could be different too. I come from a different family where my dad was not the typical rest of the Pakistani kind of person. <laughs> so we grew up very differently. And luckily, my husband's also very different. So we didn't have that typical hate with like India or the Kashmir issue. Was. And so, but I still know that uh, when we are here, it's uh, the mingling is much easier. We are able to open our brains and minds way more than we are able to do back home. It's uh it's also the beauty of the U.S. and America because we see so many different ethnicities. So Pakistan, as you know, is a very monocultural country, you know, and it's very hard for I, I would even give the example of Germany, right? Like it's a it's hard for them to Germany versus U.S. You know what I'm saying? You know, the way people welcome you here, the way people blend in here is much more different. Uh, and I want to say even difficult. Then, so I guess that's one point that I wanted to make that it's um, being here versus there, uh, being born and raised there versus being born and raised here. So that that's one part of it. And uh, secondly, uh, you answered the question or the point that you made, Erin, yourself, and you said that about the house being a home where the family is. I kind of wanted to say that, but you said it yourself that the toll it takes we can't basically minus that or we can't just ignore it. Uh, and it's not only with refugees, I guess. So Nina's parents came and I, I'm kind of first generation and she knows you are. So we, we kind of give and take, you know, there are times you, I don't know, it's such a, I don't know, the feeling is so, sometimes I don't even like that feeling that, you know, I don't know which way to go, what to like, what not to like. We have kids, we have celebrations. I graduated here. There's so many events when I could name that, okay, where, where am I? Or, you know, what am I missing? What am I not missing? Why I'm not missing? You know, so all those feelings are tolls that keep on coming, you know? So, uh, or, or then you have kids and I was like, what are they going to do? Are they going to be? And, you know, there's like a lot of confusion, but my point is like, you know, yes, home is where the family is, but it, you still miss, you know, the house, <laughs> the ge geography or where you are. So those two points, basically, I just wanted to make. I uh, completely agree with you, Rufat. I remember the home I kind of grew up in India, like the, the home I do remember, even after I got married, like 10, 15 years later, when I went back to India, and I was actually living in my husband's home at that time. I think we all drove and I'm trying to find my memory because I'm not very good geographically. And this was when I was a child. I was like, I think take a left here. Then we took a right. And I'm like, nope, wrong turn. I know there's a right from the street. I know it's the street. And then finally we found the house and I'm in front of this house that I grew up in, but it's all locked up. And it was just a very weird 
kind of a feeling like actually standing outside of a house that I grew up in and and it was locked. Like I couldn't, I, I mean, I could have climbed the gate and gone in, but that was about the level. Like I could have gone into the compound, but the actual door was locked. I'd have to physically break the door if I wanted to enter. But just standing there going, wow, I cannot enter my own home. The, the home I grew up in, this is the gate. We, we used to climb up this gate and sit on these pillars and blow bubbles. Me and my brother, we, my brother would sit on one pillar. I'd sit on one pillar. We would blow bubbles. This house, that memory, go back there. And it's, it, it's, I don't know where that house is. I should actually ask my mom if they sold it, what happened because my grandmother passed away. So I think she owned it. But anyway, I want to bring up the thing about houses and moving and all of that. First of all, it's no matter what, whether you're moving countries or houses, we all have our memories with our first house, our second house, our third house, and every little thing is different. Maybe this first house, oh my gosh, there was that street down, there was the street, and when you go down the street, there was the shop around the corner. And then you go to the second house and you miss that shop around the corner. But you have a different shop, but you miss that shop around the corner. There are things you miss from that. And then you build more in here. Then you go to the next house. And it's, I guess that's just how it is. For me, India, I guess the thing I miss the most is the food there. And I also miss hanging out with my, my niece and nephew. We would hang out at these restaurants. Again, it's food. It's these neat, eclectic restaurants on the street corners and eating like these Pani Puris and Bail Puri and all of that, that experience, those memories that you form that I can never form here in the United States, you know, and that's what when you move from one place to another, there are certain things you can never get elsewhere. I was recently in Prague, Czech Republic, and they have this one dessert there on the streets and in like a lot of little shops. And it's this really neat dessert. It's like this bread that's rolled around and it's, and then it's filled with um, ice cream. And I don't remember what this dessert is called, but it's very Prague. That's what people buy there. And then when you go on a tour there, everyone's having that dessert and you have to, you can't just come from Prague and not have it. And it wasn't, Great. Okay. I, I thought it was like ice cream is okay. It was fine. But I'm thinking to myself, if I was from Prague, if I if that was where I grew up in, and then now I'm in America, I will always miss that ice cream rolled up in this pastry that I got in the street corner. And I'll build these memories with my friends when I went and got this, just like my memories of the the Bail Puri and Pani Puri as I'm talking about. And so home. I guess involves people. Home involves people and the memories you build with them. And also it's what you are doing. Can you rebuild those memories in a different country? Maybe some parts of it, but not all of it. India, Pakistan, division, all of that. I will tell you when I came to America, I remember my brother making one comment because he was in school and we're Indians. And he was hanging out with Pakistanis and he made this comment. He was like, you know, it's interesting that like I have Pakistani friends. And, and the commentary was that both 
Indians and Pakistanis are immigrants in the United States. And so when I meet an Indian or a Pakistani, we get together on our com commonality of both being immigrants, of both having to have left a country, left professions and coming here and retaking exams and going through that. So you find that commonality. But when you're in India or even in Dubai, you just hate the Pakistanis and the Pakistanis hate you. And but you're friends, but you're really not. And um, so there's ultimately I love what Rifat always says. It's not she didn't say it this time, but Rifat always says this. And she says, we're all about humanity. She says, I want to look into each other's humanity. At the end of the day, we're all human beings. And th that's what Rifat says in practically every book club. So I'm just plagiarizing Rifat today. And it's like, <laughs> but that's kind of, you know, it, it's really weird. You know, we're talking about a book about war and being displaced, but displacement doesn't necessarily mean you're displaced just from war. It's more graphic. It's more terrifying. It's more, wow, more possessed if you're displaced from war. But displacement is displacement. Family is family. Home is home. Memories are memories. And I think that's beautiful with this book that we're going, you know, we start off with this war and immigration, and yet we are there's this heart, it's just beating in this book. It's just, it's palpable. It's that pulse that you can feel. And that's, that's just absolutely beautiful. I just talked for like a whole bunch, like, so I don't even know what we're talking about right now. Rufat, you have your hand up. Sorry, I always keep my hand. So I just wanted to ask you a question since you talked to Hala and I haven't read much about this book. How was it met with the her, like Syrians and all those like Palestinians and all those people, no Syrians, I mean, all the people from those. I was just wondering, and now that we're talking about it, and uh, Nina said that she didn't bring in a Jew there. I mean, there could be a lot of complications, you know what I'm saying? So I was just wondering, do you know how it was received in her own community? And then again, we're talking about community back home, and we're talking about community that immigrated here. So do you have any idea? When I spoke to Hala, I was talking to her about the arsonist city. I wasn't talking to her about salt houses because oh, okay. I got the arsonist city as, you know, mm -hmm. uh, before it got released. And it's similar, but I never asked her about how the book was received in her community. Right. But I see her Instagram posts and things like that. I think, I think, I do not know for sure. I think it's very well, very well received. Mm -hmm. um, what did I, I, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yes. Hala is not coming today. I, um, I, I asked her and she had something significant and uh, she just, she just wanted to tell everyone that she appreciates that oh. we are doing her book. And she was very grateful that we are doing her book for book club. So I just want to let you know that because I did ask her and yeah, she, she couldn't do it. So I would have loved to surprise you guys, but I just, I was like, this is it. I'm going to surprise you guys. And I'm like, oh, Paula, it's please okay. say yes. But, you know, <laughs> no. uh, but it's okay. No. Um, and my so question was because to answer your question that would I recommend a book to somebody? Again, I would be cautious on who to recommend. I loved this book, but again, just like, you know, 
we were talking about that I would be cautious and who to recommend it to. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, but I love this book myself. I personally would recommend The Arsonist City. I'd be like, look, Saltasis is good. It's, it's good, but read Arsonist City. That, that book, I read, I, I'm trying to think when I read Arsonist City, but there is a scene in that book I, I read it like months ago. Like I'm talking, this was one of my top books from last year. And there is a scene in that book that's still like, I cannot get it off my head. Like I have tried, I have tried, I have like, just forget it. I'm like, I can't that it's like the scene in this parking lot. And I'm just, it. it's like, how do you write this? Like, and then that's arsonicity. I'm talking, we're talking a year later, I'm still in the parking lot of that scene in Arsenal City. But anyway, so if someone asked me, recommend a book by Hala Alian, I would I'd start off with Arsenal City. I know Salt Houses was came very highly acclaimed. And I read somewhere where someone wrote a review for Arsenal City and they said, I did not think Hala Alian, not Hala Alian, like that she's not capable of doing better, but she said, I didn't think anyone could do better than Salt Houses. Like, how do you top that? And then she writes Arsonist City and she, she shows you how you can top that book. So my recommendation would be directly Arsonist City. And that's that. I don't think I would necessarily say, hey, read Salt Houses. I would say read Arsonist City. If you want, read Salt Houses. You may like it. You may not. It's not as it's not up there as Arsenal City, but it's good. That's what. Yeah, and that would I, be what I would say. Sure, and I just uh, I mean, most of the people that I know, I would recommend, and they would be willing and happy to read it. But I was just like, you know, there might be not everybody, but that's right. Amazing. Right. I would really love to have, I guess, a Jewish person read this book and get their perspective. You know, if they would think that, no, Nina, I don't want a Jew in that book. Thank you for trying to integrate everyone, Nina, but I do not want a Jew in that book. Or would they be like, absolutely, Nina. Yeah, we should get everybody together. You're right. I'm just, I don't know. I am curious of what their, what their reaction would be. And also it would be interesting to be like a Jew who is pro-Israel and a Jew who is pro-Palestine. That would be interesting. You know, we don't have that in our book club, unfortunately, but that would be interesting. Nina, you have your hand up. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, there there are definitely certain people of the Jewish faith, like my family member, that I could say, hey, read this book. And she would read it and she would probably find it as moving and as beautiful as I do. And it would probably spark a really good discussion on you know, where I could get her perspective. And I'm sure you could get an interfaith group together to read this. And then maybe there's a Jewish author out there who maybe has written something that captures the Israeli side of their statehood and occupation and like read those two together and, and just kind of take it from there. So of course, I wouldn't recommend this to someone who is straight pro-Israeli, the more extreme folks, you know, they're, they're too extreme to try to bring to the middle. It's really the, the majority of the middle and moderates where this book could really uh, do some good work. Dr. Jen. 
Uh, yeah, I think that would be super interesting. I would love to be a fly on the wall since I'm, you know, I'm not a, of Jewish faith or, or Muslim, but, or participate if, if welcome. But, um, I wanted to throw another book in the mix that we had, um, read earlier, the Against the Loveless World, which I felt was even more moving than this one. Absolutely beautiful book, um, but kind of similar topic. Uh, and uh, I'd be curious to see what that reading group thought of that one also. I think for me, that's the other thing. The fact that I'd read Arsenicity, I'd read Against the Loveless World, those books were like up there. And so Salt Houses was good. But yeah, you're right. Against the Loveless World was, uh, yeah, up there. I will tell you while you're talking about it, I was like, what did I call that book? I had another name for that book. And I'm sitting there going, no, it was, what was it no, something about, wasn't her name Nor Nahar, or Nahar? Yes. Nahar, you're call like, like Nahar's story Nahar, or something. Nahar. I know I just said it was just, the book should have been titled Nahar. And it's like Nahar River and Erin's like shaking her head. Bowie's not here to defend herself. She said she might join. I mean, oh my God, that would be hilarious. But that's an amazing, yeah, you're right. And um, when you're reading this book, you're right. I, you have to draw parallels going, okay, there's, against the loveless world. I was also thinking about that scene that was against the loveless world where the grandma goes into the house, right? She goes into the house and starts, you know, yes. I don't know, like, right? She goes in and tries to steal the fruit from the tree or something like that. Yep. And the woman comes in and she's like, no, it's me. And um, I mean, yeah, so I'm reading this book and suddenly my brain is skipping over to that book and, um, uh, which is kind of interesting when you read a lot of books, your brain just kind of goes from one book to the other, to the other. And I think this is our second, I guess, Palestine, Israel, Arab book, right? So I think that was, that was a good choice. I'm really curious if we pick another one of these books at some point, if we would bring up, oh, salt houses or bring up, you know, oh, against the loveless world. I'm just... With books and their parallels is what I'm thinking. Anything else about this book that, oh, Erin. I was just going to say that uh, I, one thing that struck me about this book was how the family kind of moved away from their faith, like their religious practice. Even though they still identified as uh, Muslim, they, I felt like they like, they moved away from practicing it, which happens, I think, in lots of families uh, of any faith. But I wonder if the trajectories of the two, like if you're comparing against a loveless world with the family from Salt Houses, if, you know, part of that was the relationship that they had with religion. So like one still clung to their faith and the other, it was kind of like Mustafa's death, like pushed them away from their faith and definitely away from continued extremism. And in fact, the one daughter used it with her stepson to try to say like, this is why this isn't a good thing. You need to be careful, you know, what you're, how you're practicing your faith. I will say, uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Erin, because I was, I, I didn't make a note on it. I was thinking when we were discussing all this other stuff, I liked how faith was presented in this book. I especially liked Alia and the way her faith was, you know, in a lot of ways, Alia reminds me of Rifat, not you, Rifat, my Rifat. You know who I'm talking about, Erin. She, you know, a lot of times when she's there, you know, when she's praying, you know, or she's saying these Islamic things like, oh, Alhamdulillah or whatever. And it just felt, 
I, I liked it. And I really liked that she did present a positive image of Islam. And I really liked that element of it, because I don't believe I've read a book that really presented Islam from that direction of where she's just a woman connecting with her God and praying. That's all it is. She's just, that's all she's doing. And to present it so beautifully and say, you know, and she's a human being and she's a good person. I love that presentation. Dr. Jen, you were first before Rafat. Oh, I was just going to say that I, I, I agree. I, I liked how religion kind of changed through the generations. And I think that was one of the reasons why it was so important to have all of the generations, because it really showed that progression of how things changed over time um, and how people viewed faith differently throughout the different generations. And it kind of, you know, mimics the, the path here in, in the U.S. too. But I think that was just a kind of side note about, about the religion part. I was just saying that that was exactly the reason I asked uh, how was the book received back home? Because like, you know, she portrayed that and I think I didn't make that connection. But as soon as I didn't brought it, I was like, that was the reason I wanted to know how it was, because that is pretty forward. Like, and I do believe, I think Shanaz probably Middle East is a little bit more modern that way, maybe from as compared to Pakistan and India, I guess. I mean, all smoking and all that. And I guess we don't have that openly back home. Of course, people do everything. But, you know, that that was another reason I was talking about my recommending you to because there are a few books that I have recommended in past and <laughs> they were they didn't sit very well with them. I was going to say I was going to say you said smoking is acceptable and all of that, you know, or whatever is acceptable, yeah. I'm like including prostitution. Yeah. I was going to add that in, you know, based yeah. on that other book. But anyway, but right. Continue. So yeah, that was the reason. But I <laughs> so I was like, I'll be cautious not to. But most of the people that I know, I want to say 95% of the people in my circle would love the book, but there's just only 5% who might not adhere to that. Yeah. Nina, before I call you on, I will say religion is something I think over the generations, right? You start off with this religion. And then over time, I feel like religion dilutes potentially a little at a time. Maybe I'm just making this up, but I feel that, okay, if I was there at the time when our prophet was there, I'm sure people and their religion and how they practiced it and how significant it was would would be way different than the next generation. And then the next generation, we're, we're trying to kind of hold on, but every generation alters things a little bit and our situations are a little different, but we, I guess we try to hold on. I, you know, but. Um, Piggybacking off what you were just saying. I mean, Jesus was a very unpopular Jew and it took him, you know, one in the other direction. It got concentrated, not, you know, diluted as, as time went on. So I think it has to do with like, religion and politics they do intertwine it's sad but but it's true and uh, but in the book what i liked about religion was abdullah he was latif's son that i think one of the granddaughters married uh and adopted as her as her own son and so he was super faithful like mustafa and Atha. but then 9 11 happened and it woke him up. And I also like how his mom or his stepmom was describing her faith 
and like how she understood it juxtaposed with the way that he was practicing becoming almost a, a, a jihadi I thought that was needed to be called out that was well done I think this book talks about the Islamic faith and balances out like all the elements of it the good the bad the ugly sort of like you know just balances it out and shows what it is in a sense I I liked that I think there was a little bit of education that the author wanted to do is what I think I don't know I haven't spoken hollow about that specific element but I thought it was neat yeah so um uh, kind of uh, building on what Nina had said about politics and religion being intertwined yes and it's almost always to the benefit of politics and to the detriment of religion when you think about that. And I think that's really sad. And But I also think that like there's elements of politics and religion being intertwined that causes generational trauma. I think in parts of this book, it pulled people away from their religion. But in parts of the book, people were maybe saved from you know, they stayed in their religion, but they were saved from becoming, you know, like a jihadi or going to an extreme. So I do think that there's some elements of having gone through that experience that, that the family could use in a positive way. I do think that for some members, like going through the, the, the experience of losing Mustafa and how terrible that situation was and how it affected their family, even, you know, before the, some of them were born, <laughs> um, I think that it made them very leery of of their faith. And I think that that's sad, but I think that it's something that we see in every faith. You know, it, it's not just in the Islamic faith. It's in, I, I would argue that pretty much any organized religion has that same experience when people use it, use religion in a wrong way, it can become very traumatizing and it can become very traumatizing on, mul- you know, for multiple generations in a family. So um, I, I think that that kind of all of those aspects really pulled together and you got to see that full picture by looking at the four generations. So maybe going back to that original question, does it, does it need to be four generations? Yeah, maybe it did. Maybe it did to really show the complexity of what she wanted to show. Maybe it needed to be two books. I mean, okay, I know, Rufat, you're next. You can go ahead and argue with me because I just think you could really, really dig in. Granted, if it's like two books are way longer, you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, this is such a long book. I don't want to read it. But I just felt a jump. You know, every time it just went, um, who are you? Oh, who are you? Who are you? You know, like I said, if you need to keep rolling back to look at a family tree, you're taking yourself away from the book. And I was like, hold on, hold on. Let me see. Uh, where are you? You are, oh, Oh, you are her grand. Okay, hold, okay, back. Where am I? Oh, okay. So you are going to the beach with uh, who? With the- I mean, that's just not how you read a book. I'm sorry. I just think it could have been maybe, I guess, enhanced rather than be as jumpy as I felt it was. I felt it just went character to character to character. Like it went fast. It like literally went Salma, Alia, next person, next person. It just, just, I'm like, wait. Let me sit with Salma for a minute. Let me talk to Salma for a minute. I'm not ready for Alia. Okay, fine, fine, Alia. Okay, I'll learn about Alia. Oh, you jumped to someone else. Wait, hold your horses. That's what I felt. But So I had quite a few points. Um, <laughs> <laughs> first of all, dilution of religion. Rufat and me are like, okay. I know, but, right? But like, yeah, yeah. Woman. So I, I don't think uh, religion dilutes or for that much. 
matter culture, even dilute. I mean, if you look at Alia versus her daughter, she ends up wearing hijab. So I think, I mean, it didn't die. It actually concentrated more, right? So I think even now there are a lot more younger girls who would be wearing hijab and I never did it or my mom never did. So, I mean, I think even with Christianity, I guess a lot of younger people may go back. So I uh, guess maybe it's a generation, not even generation, and it doesn't even matter the family dynamics or something. It's just something, you know, you're more religious than your parents or sometimes you're not. So uh, that thing, culture, however, I think we a lot of times we say, oh, our culture is lost or something. I always believe that the culture is modified. It's never lost. The beauty is like, you know, you add things and I love that diversity. And I love that fact that, you know, we take something from here. I mean, I did say earlier that I miss it. That's a different thing, but I love this thing that we have over here with so many different cultures. And I love that my kids are able to enjoy it. Sometimes actually I tell my husband that it would be really nice if you and I were from different cultures too, so that I kids could be more diversified. You know, I have a couple of friends like a Vietnamese married to a Pakistani. So the child has way more languages and food and palates than we do, you know? So I love that thing. Of course, my mom does not appreciate that, but so I love that part. So I think the cultures uh, always get modified, not diluted. Religion is like generation to person to person, I guess. And politics and religion. And I think even economy is part of it. Uh, not only politics, the economy really dictates the culture a lot. I mean, even back home, like more women working. I I know it's because of uh, the women rights, but it's also because of economy. You know, the divorce rate is higher because of the economy. I mean, there's so many things that dictate a culture and the culture, whatever. Where did I read it a book lately that culture is not what you encourage, culture is what you permit other people to do to you, you know? So that I thought was, it was an exact quote to quote, but I, I don't know, maybe we read the book together or something, but that, and the last point, what, what were you talking about, Shanaz? No idea what I talk about. I talk about a whole bunch of things. You know, no, me, I, I go all over the, the place. <laughs> okay, the, the book, uh, the whole structure of the book. Okay, the first okay. couple, three, four, uh, or maybe five chapters, I was like, I'm not liking it. But then, you know, I really liked the whole thing. And I kind of, it was a challenge, a little bit of a cognitive challenge for me to kind of remember. And so I would kind of look up that name and go back and see. I thought she did a really good job. Personally, I don't think the book should have been longer or shorter uh, because in that chapter, she stayed in that very day or very year. And then she brought a lot of stuff from back. So I know we didn't know about Salma a lot in Salma's chapter, but we did know. So I thought that was a very creative way of writing. And I know it was a little bit of like <clears throat> frustrating, but I just thought th- that was the beauty of the book for me, that she had those little chunks And then she brought the history and then she also mixed it with the present. And, uh, you know, I I wouldn't want it any other way by the end of the book. I was like, I love the way she did it. Okay. Well, we're getting like an hour already in. Anything else before we go into our favorite topics of cover and title? Oh, Rufat. Okay. Keep going, Rufat. So sorry, guys. No, keep going. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, keep going, right? I just wanted to say that uh, the scene where uh, the great granddaughter goes and actually sees Selma's home had so many meanings. And I know that that's the same meaning that you said, Erin, that 
houses are not um, like homes are not houses. And that was also, you know, I was hoping that she was not going to make it melodramatic where she goes and she, the da- the granddaughter is crying and it was like, oh my God, that's my parents. She felt that there's nothing, you know? So it also tells that no matter how our past is like stuck to us, it's not that stuck. I don't think you go back more than two generations to really, not. I mean, once you have your own generation, it's just them and your own parents. You don't go back. So that was a very beautiful part for me. And I, I'm happy that she did not create a melodrama there. She did it very nicely. I also like the way that the chapters were structured. There was a little almost like teaser in each chapter that was then satisfied somewhat by somebody's next chapter. It was difficult to follow with so many characters. I'm really glad I had that family tree at the beginning. I just, I read the acknowledgements that the author wrote and it seemed like the original book was a lot bigger. And, you know, these are stories that her granddad, her great granddad, like I'm just, imagining if I were to take all the stories and the letters that like my dad wrote to my mom and like tried to take all of that that was so personal to me and then turn it into a fiction book I don't think I could have done it any better I did catch a couple of edit mistakes in the book which showed that you know perhaps it wasn't um I don't know there was like a deadline publishers got to get it out there's that business aspect of you know getting a book out so for her to take you know something that was like her family's stories and then make it into a commercial book I just I got to give her props for that I'm writing a book right now And uh, I've spoken to a lot of authors, as you know, in my podcast, I will talk about that edit error that you see in a book, a lot of books, a lot of them have edit errors. And the reason edit errors come up is because nobody's perfect. Like, so I write a book, and there's like a ton of errors. I go through as many as I can, but then obviously I'm blind and I can't see the others. Well, then it goes to another editor and she goes through all her errors, but she's also blind. Everybody, it keeps going through different editors and different editors. And it's not so much a matter of time. It's literally that, you know, they're reading through it and they're doing their very best, but sometimes it still slips through the cracks, even in very like, I mean, this is a, oh gosh, it's Marina books now. It used to be HMH, but uh, what is Marina bought by HarperCollins or Simon Schuster? I can't remember. But anyway, I it's a it's one of the top five publishers. And uh, so, yeah, even in that errors happen. Like, for example, there was in Arsenal City, the main character is Mazna and... At one point, I was reading and it says Mazda, and I'm like, Mazda. And I got confused. I was like, where's the reference to the car? Or is there a car? I And then it just, it threw me off. I literally like, holla, Mazda or Mazna? What's, what am I missing? And she goes, oops, that's that's embarrassing, is what she told me with Arsenal City. So I, I mean, and that was the copy I got was a finished copy, wasn't in the RC. So these things still happen. And as a writer, you know, I've read like Stephen King's books, you know, like Stephen King's book on writing. He says, 
read any, any book. Every single book has some sort of an error in it. So don't expect your book to be 100% perfect. Is There is that. As far as her acknowledgements, I think I'm pretty sure I read it too, where she was talking about how, you know, she's very grateful for her editors to look at things and because they're able to see things that you're just not able to see. Like it is just, it just blows my mind. Like I, you know, my book's with a professional editor right now. I mean, she's given me my notes and I look at it and go, huh, never considered that. How did you pick up on that? Wow. I mean, I've been reading this book. I've been reading every chapter. Like I've been reading this so many times. How did I not pick up on this? How did you pick up on this? But that's what a good editor will do. And maybe, you know, like a good editor will be like, okay, Hala, let's look at this book. You have four generations. Maybe let's let's talk about this. Let's not do Salma. Let's not do two chapters of Salma. Okay, let's do a quarter chapter of Salma. You can bring up Salma and salt and pepper her throughout the novel to really kind of carry her. Let's make it. Let's go to Alia. You know, an editor would talk to Hala about it and she would then be like, okay, let's do this. Because she might have written 150,000 words and the editor might have brought it down to the 80 or 90,000 words that it probably is, is what I'm thinking. But yeah, editors are magic. Anything else before we go to cover and title? I oh. was just going to say, we never <laughs> talked about... <laughs> go ahead, <laughs> You asked. <laughs> I asked. Go for it. No, go, go, go. We never talked about the unfortunate death and the way it really travels through generations and the letters and everything. That was like, I think, one of the... We don't talk about Bruno. Oh, That's what I felt like. I don't know if anybody's watched the movie. I haven't watched the movie. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard about there's a song in Encanto, right? Isn't that what it is or something? I, you know... I read somewhere about how, about Salt Houses, how the whole Mustafa thing was like, oh, wow, that the fact that he, what was it? That he didn't want to go, but he was pushed by Atif. Atif pushed him into the war. And that was like this big thing. And Atif's like, if Salma, not Salma, if um, Alia ever found out, she would never forgive me. I was not so very blown away by that I was expecting because all through the book it said if Ali ever found out she'd never forgive me she'd never forgive me I'm like what did you do like I literally what I thought would have happened was that Atif killed Mustafa to save himself that's what I thought like I was like what would I never forgive if you killed my brother to save yourself or some like I don't know what but that's what I thought I mean I guess indirectly he did but I just wasn't it wasn't that so I was like okay fine whatever and then we have another question before we go to cover and title actually we forget favorite characters I'm like how did I forget this and just going all over the place I liked Atif personally and he's just I don't know something about Atif he's just kind-hearted he's sweet he has his own demons. I, I don't know. I liked Atif. I also liked Atha for the similar reasons and also for the, the... I know he did something that Alia wouldn't have forgiven him for. And once I read 
what that was. He gave Mustafa's name up like to the Israeli soldiers. So in my mind, he he kind of did kill him. I mean, yeah, it was indirect. Um, and then to carry that his his entire life and not share it and still be that genteel. But then he's also got that side that gave up his his brother, his best friend. I mean, he just proved to be a much more complicated soul and much more interesting once those tidbits came out. So I'm intrigued by Atta. Favorite character or anyone else? I was going to say, I do not have a favorite character. I really don't. I don't really feel like I got to spend enough time with any one of them to like them. But I liked them all equally. They all had great points. See, you didn't get to spend much time with all of them because she didn't write more about them them she just jumped i'm just i'm sorry oh my gosh hala if you're listening to this i'm just being obnoxious i swear i love you hala if you're ever listening i you know i'm just being obnoxious okay Rufat. <laughs> so in terms of development of the character i really liked alia's character i think from the feisty girl to having to go through uh you know a beautiful marriage and then the brother's death and all that and I mean I personally don't like very bossy people and controlling people but somehow the way and then we're not talking about what we like what I'm talking about from the way as a writer she really had an expert hand on Alia as compared to any other character yes Atif is but I think I liked how complex Atif is but uh, she could have gone in a little bit more detail about him and maybe he created some more enigma about him and then broken it in a different way that could have been more it kind of like was just in you know kind of in passing that she mentions in the end that's where I had a little bit of a disagreement but Alia's character overall was um, I think very well captured given the conditions that you know moving from one place to not liking a place where you live loving the husband but not loving the husband family and you know all that I thought that was beautiful have a strong favorite either i i liked i liked susa's kind of development um psychologically over her lifetime i thought that was interesting and at the end i liked the granddaughter lina or lena nyla i don't remember what her name was the mother um, of the little baby i thought she was very sweet title cover and rating let's do all three together like title cover and rating i think i would give i give it four straight across the board i think title cover and rating i would i'd give it four straight across the board maybe five four i don't know maybe the cover look i might pick it up you know like yeah so four-ish four-ish straight across the board how's that okay i can go next um Mm -hmm. so i i would give i would give the cover a four I mean, it's beautiful, but I don't know that it gave me too many clues about what I was about to pick up. But I love the title. The title is like, if I could give something like a five plus, I would, because it definitely it had a lot of imagery for what you read and a lot of theme behind it. So, uh, title five, very clever title, exactly what you just said. Cover four, and overall, I gotta give it a five reluctantly i'm giving it a five reluctantly because of my bias because of my like i saw my parents in here and my family struggles and so it just moved me so much hey last time you brought uva down in your rating 
I'm like, I, I am not accepting this. You know, I am not accepting this. <laughs> that is true. You totally called me on that. You're right. You're right. So I should change it. I should change it too. Oh, no, no, no. It's fine. I, I just, you know, you should know me by now that I'm pretty nutty that way. So you're fine. You're totally yeah, fine. I like you to call me on that stuff. So uh, thank you. Uh, Rifeth woman. The, the title definitely five plus, like you said, Aaron, beautiful title and very poetic, very amazing, you know, so many dimensions and, uh, the book itself, I would, before I had the book club, when I read it, it was 4.5. I would go with five right now because of, you know, all the dimensions that even I brought that I didn't know at that time, the cover, Honestly, I did not like the cover. I'm not going to discount my rating. The cover looks like it does not. I mean, it's you're talking about something that started in 60s all the way to now. It should have some more projection of what we are talking about. It seemed like, honestly, to me, it seemed like a very playful, a young adult, somebody from Etsy drew it. And I don't know what made Hala pick that cover. It seemed like just those greeting cards. I'm sorry, but I just don't think the cover and the title and the story went together. The title and the story, yes, but the cover, very contemporary, did not. I mean, I opened the book. I mean, I didn't have the physical book, but when I started, I had seen, of course, that it starts from 1968. I was like, no, the, the cover is way too contemporary for that. So I will, cover um, I didn't like at all. Rufus, I, I mean, Hal is not here. Uh, but I will defend the cover in the sense of not defend it, but to say that I don't think Hala necessarily had much say in the cover. Like it's it's a lot of it, like with public uh, with publicists. Okay. I think she'll just go in. They'll be like, pick one of these. They'll, oh. You know, they'll they'll do the cover and they'll be like, pick one, maybe alter it a little bit. I don't think I really don't think she has like a huge say in the cover because the publicist would be like, we know what sells. And okay. even with the title, publicists can lead an author to be like, okay, um, let's switch this title around. I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back to my interview with uh, Alka Joshi, the henna artist, or I'd have to ask her. Like, I'm pretty sure that a publicist had change the title or something and even uh with the henna artist the cover i i'm pretty sure i was like alka what was she's like well they did the cover and they said it's this and and that's how i'm like oh she's like they know better i trust them so cannot fault hala for the cover i don't even think you can i mean i don't know about the salt houses the title i don't know if that was her original title or the publisher Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know who gets the credit for it per se, but um, but yeah. Yeah. And I said, I'm not even discounting my rating just because of the cover. No, no I know. I, I just wanted to that say. The cover- no, thank you. It's good information because I just somehow thought that the the writers in, in ideally they should have. They, it's their book. But it's just that I think it's a book that sh- that can be read by a older and younger people. It's a book from the cover that only younger people and only women would pick. I would like that kind of a book to have a cover that any generation and any gender should be able to pick because it ha- it's a beautiful book. That that was my reason behind it. I like that what you said, that it's a cover that women would pick and it should yeah, be- more girlish and youngish. Yes. You're, you're right. It should be more balanced. I, I completely agree with you, uh, which- 
makes me believe maybe the publicists thought, let's push a woman audience and a younger woman's audience. And maybe that audience would really be emotionally vested in this book more so than males. Maybe that's what they thought. They thought, I don't know. I mean, obviously I'm just extrapolating and speculating at this point. Dr. Jen? Yeah, I agree. Marketing is not necessarily what it should be. <laughs> I think we could we could make it an ideal, you know, uh, title and, and cover, but marketing people have their own ideas. Um, so yeah, I I agree with the title. Um, like we talked about before, uh, I think the title is definitely five five plus. I. Again, I think that the cover is pretty. It's it's attractive. It would make me want to pick up the book, but I agree with you. I I don't think it really fits what's inside super well. Um, so I I would give the cover maybe a three and a half. And then same with my overall rating. I think I would give it a three and a half. It was fine. I liked it. I didn't love it for me personally. Okay, that was a good book club. Yay! Thank you all. Yay! And that's all I have for this episode. I thought it was a lively discussion. Now regarding the podcast, I know I am behind. It's just life. And as you can tell, my voice is still not back. Yeah, long story. So hang in there. I'm working through it. I haven't even begun the edits on our next book club session which has already been recorded which is hell of a book by jason Matz. and so stay tuned before i go if you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes please take a moment to write me a review on apple podcasts please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels follow me on facebook and instagram on living a life through books I'm also on Clubhouse. Look me up by name. I'm on uh, TikTok. My tag is at Dr. Shnaz Ahmed. You can reach me through email. My address is livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. My website is shnazahmed.com. That is S-H-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-E-D.com. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavik. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time.